And welcome back to the Word Encounter, episode 63. Yesterday we concluded in uh, the second chapter of uh, 1 Kings, and so now we're going to start in the third chapter of 1 Kings. And so uh, first we have to remember that at this stage in time, uh, Solomon has consolidated his kingship in uh, Israel. He's pretty much uh, firmly implanted. And so now he goes about the business of politicking in the region. Uh, if we remember, for decades and decades and decades and decades, the Israelites have been at war. You know, they've been at war internally. They've been at war external with external fo foes. They've had civil wars and, and, and all this. So they've just been in a state of war for what seems like forever. Uh, but now things are pretty peaceful and pretty calm. And so now Solomon is going to uh, set out by uh, basically um, conducting business with other nations in the region. And the first thing he does is he marries Pharaoh's daughter, the Pharaoh of Egypt, the king of Egypt. He marries her daughter, his daughter, in order to uh, consolidate a treaty, which was common practice in those days. And it says that um, Solomon brought her to the city of David until he finished building his palace, the Lord's temple, and the surrounding, um, and the wall surrounding Jerusalem. You know, in those days, cities would surround themselves with walls. They essentially turned themselves into fortresses because there were always attacks coming. And so the wall was a form of protection. So Solomon was building these three things, uh, the temple for the Lord, his own palace, and the wall around Jerusalem. And so he brought the, um, uh, the daughter of Pharaoh back to the city of David. And it says in verse 3, Solomon loved the Lord by walking in the statutes of his father David. And so he followed the ways of David. David was called a man after God's own heart, and so Solomon was following in his ways. And remember, David also warned Solomon when he was dying to don't depart from the ways of the Lord, essentially. But the word says, but he also sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. The high places are up in a higher ground uh, that were used uh, for pagan worship, where pagans would go and worship their gods and, and whatnot. And this was detestable to the Lord. Uh, but we have to remember that Israel didn't, uh, the Israelites didn't, a hundred percent do everything they were instructed to do with regard to clearing the land of the foreigners. And so therefore you had a mixture of gods and practices and cultures and whatnot that was detestable to the Lord. And this proved to be a consistent stumbling block to the Israelites over and over and over again. But Solomon did it. But for whatever reason, I don't know, uh, the Lord didn't seem to hold this against Solomon the way he held it against others. And so in verse 4, it says, uh, the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there because it was the most famous high place. So we see that it was the most. So, so Solomon went and, and, and did the detestable thing that others have done. They got them in deep trouble with the Lord. He went to the most famous place and did the same thing. But again, it just, just doesn't seem like he got the same uh, treatment. He offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. In verse 5, at Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream at night. God asked, what should I give you? And so God is, I think, it doesn't say this, but I think this is kind of a test for Solomon. And so to see how he's going to respond. And then Solomon says, if we go to verse, uh, if we go to verse 7, well, first, I mean, he goes through the process of telling the Lord all the great things he's done for Israel, all the great things he's done for his father, all the great things he's done for himself and whatnot. But he says, I've got this problem, Lord. He says, I am just a youth with no experience in leadership. In verse 9, so give your servant a receptive heart to judge your people and to discern between good and evil, for who is able to judge this great people of yours? And so Solomon is recognizing a major deficiency in himself. 
I don't have any experience. I don't want to screw up, essentially. You know, give your, give your servant discernment. Let him understand what's right and wrong so he can judge rightly. In verse 10, now it pleased the Lord that Solomon had requested this. So God said to him, because you have request, requested this and did not ask for a long life or riches for yourself or the death of your enemies, but you asked for discernment for yourself to administer justice, I will therefore do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and understanding heart so that there is never uh, so that uh, there has never been anyone like you before and never will be again. He says, I'm going to make you so discerning that nobody before you or nobody after you is ever going to be able to match the discernment that I give you. In verse 11, in addition, I will give you what you did not ask for, both riches and honor, so that no king will be your equal during your entire life. If you walk in my ways and keep my statutes and commands, just as your father David did, I will give you a long life. And so he was, he's saying, you didn't ask for a long life. You didn't ask for riches. You didn't ask for honor. But I'm going to give you all of those things because you asked for discernment. And so one of the things um, that's interesting here is, is like before Solomon got discernment or wisdom from the Lord, probably his most wise move was asking for wisdom. And so he asked for wisdom, which was in itself wise. And he got wisdom. He got more wisdom. And so one of the famous stories in the Bible that, that, that illustrates uh, Solomon's wisdom is the story of two prostitutes. And they came before him and they said, look, uh, what, what had happened was uh, they both had babies, both had sons at around the same time within days of each other. And then uh, one of the prostitutes' sons died because she rolled over on him. I guess she suffocated him. And she realized that he was dead. So while the other prostitute was asleep with her son, she switched babies. She gave her the dead baby and took the live baby for herself. And so then when the mother of the live baby woke up and realized that her son was dead, she looked more closely at him and realized that this wasn't her son, that this was, in fact, the other prostitute's son. So they both come before David and they tell him the story of what had happened. And so then in verse 23, the king replied, the woman says, this is my son who is alive and your son is dead. But that woman says, no, your son is dead and my son is alive. In verse 24, the king continued, bring me my sword. So they brought the sword to the king and the king said, cut the living boy in two and give half to one and half to the other. In verse 26, the woman whose son was alive spoke, my Lord. Give her the living baby, she said. Please don't have him killed. But the other one said, he will not be mine or yours. Cut him in two. And in verse 27, the king responded, give the living baby to the first woman and don't kill him. She is the mother. When all Israel heard about the judgment the king had given, and they stood in, and they stood in awe of the king because they saw that God's wisdom was in him to carry out justice. Now, I've read through the word many, many times. Um, I don't know. I don't know how this is my ninth or tenth or so. I don't know. But every time I read through it, something else hits me. I've never read before. It says that uh, the, Israel's, the, the Israelis were in awe of the king because they saw that God's wisdom was in him to carry out justice. 
So they were in awe because they knew they had a leader now who would be just, who would be honest, who would be fair. That's that's incredible, particularly in the in the times that we're living in. And so, um, and we see here again how the word is so is so pertinent to present day time. Um, in chapter four. Um, it goes, uh, Solomon is establishing his government. So he's establishing his officials and, and all that. He establishes, um, you know, all kind of civil offices to take care of the people, so to speak. And so um, it says in verse 20, Judah and Israel were as numerous as the sand by the sea. They were eating, drinking, and rejoicing. Solomon ruled over, Solomon, Solomon ruled all the kingdom from the Euphrates River and the land to the Philistines, and as far as the border of Egypt. They offered tribute and served Solomon all the days of his life. In other words, the nation surrounding Israel offered Israel tribute. They paid them, you know, and, and, and you know, a lot of times you pay people on that level to do things like keep the peace, you know, make a treaty with us so there'll be no war or anything like that. And so the Lord was watching over Israel and just blessing them tremendously because of Solomon. And so uh, it says in verse 25, throughout Solomon's reign, Judah and Israel lived in safety from Dan to Beersheba. And so they just lived in safety. They lived in uh, uh, a contented state. Every year, all of their needs were being met. Everything was not just good. Everything was wonderful. Everything was great. We see in verse 29, God gave Solomon wisdom very great insight and understanding as vast as the sand on the seashore. In verse 31, he was wiser than anyone. His reputation extended to all the surrounding nations. And so Solomon spoke 3,000 proverbs and his songs numbered 1,005. And so he was just oozing with discernment and wisdom because God was just dumping on him in spades. Just, just awesome. In verse 34, it says, emissaries of all people sent uh, by every king on earth who had heard of his wisdom came to listen to Solomon's wisdom. So they all came and he had court before leaders and emissaries from around the, from around the world, of those who knew about Solomon. They came because they wanted to hear this wisdom. They wanted to hear what he had to say. And so he was just pouring out, pouring out and pouring out because God had given and given and given to him. So we see in chapter 5, <clears throat> Uh, Solomon uh, is in the process, like I said before, of building these three things, right? So he's building the Lord's temple, he's building his palace, and he's building the wall around Jerusalem. And so uh, we get into some of the details of him building these structures because he needed, first he needed um, materials. So he got his materials from the uh, king of Hiram, or excuse me, from Hiram the king of Tyre. He got his materials, and then he had to put together a workforce. And one of the things that demonstrates his wisdom, it says in verse uh, chapter 5, verse 13, when King Solomon drafted um, forced labor from all Israel, uh, the labor force numbered 30,000 men. But he didn't need 30,000. He only needed 10,000 for this particular um, part of the construction. In verse 14, he said, he sent 10,000 men to Lebanon each month, each month in shifts. One month they were in Lebanon, 
two months they were at home. And so Solomon was sending men in shifts because he wanted them to take care of their families and not ignore their families. And so this is part of the wisdom on display. He could have just sent 10,000 men, you know, for all the time. He said, just keep working until it's done. But he sent, it, he, he sent them in shifts and so that they would have plenty of home time. And so we move on to chapter 6, and we see that um, in verse 1, Solomon began to build a temple for the Lord in the, in, in the 480th year after the Israelites came out of the land of Egypt. So almost 500 years after they came out of Egypt, this is when he started to build the temple. And it says in verse 2, the temple that King Solomon built for the Lord was 90 feet long, 30 feet wide, and 45 feet high. So it was kind of a rectangular, a narrow rectangular thing. And uh, if you go online and you search uh, Solomon's temple, you'll see a bunch of pictures and illustrations of what it looked like, different depictions. And in chapter, uh, excuse me, in verse 11, it says, The word of the Lord came to Solomon, As for this temple you are building, if you walk in my statutes, observe my ordinances, and keep all my commands by walking in them, I will fulfill my promise to you, which I made to your father David. I will dwell among the Israelites and not abandon my people. And so the Lord is telling him, look, I see what you're doing. I see that you're building my temple. It's a good thing. And so he's confirming the fact that Solomon's building his temple. And he goes on to tell him what he's always taught, is told Israelites through the history. If you follow my ordinances, decrees, and, and, and precepts and all this, then I will fulfill my promise. <clears throat> and so we go on. And um, the word gets into some details about the materials and the build process and the construction. And in verse uh, 37, it says, The foundation of the Lord's temple was laid in Solomon's fourth year in the month of Zeev. Uh, verse 38, In his eleventh year in the month of Bull, which is the eighth month, the temple was completed in every detail and according to every specification. So he built it in seven years. So the temple is built, but it still has to be furnished, but the temple is built. And then in chapter 7, it says Solomon completed his entire palace complex after 13 years of construction. Now, it may seem like, wait a minute, it was seven years for the temple and, and, and 13 years for Solomon's palace, but it was more than just a palace. It, was, it, was, it included this palace, but it also included things like a court building, if you will, or they call it the Hall of Justice. It included uh, some other things uh, that were more like a, a civic center type thing. So it was more than just his palace. And it says, um, like, like he made the, the, the hall of the throne where he would judge, the hall of judgment, uh, or the hall of, yeah, the hall of judgment where he would judge. And then uh, it says he built Pharaoh's daughter a house. And so all of this was a part of the complex. And it says all of these buildings were made of costly stones. And so this was an expensive process and a long process. And then uh, through the rest of chapter 7, it goes through all of the things that, um, all of the furnishings that went into the temple, uh, like the bronze pillars, the basin, the bronze basin, uh, the water carts, um, uh, all, of the, all of the things, uh, the gold furnishings, uh, all of the stuff that, that, that made up, that went into the temple that were a part of the worship ceremonies. And so... Um, with that, we are going to stop, and we are going to pick up tomorrow in chapter 8, uh, where Solomon dedicates the temple. And so everybody have a blessed day. We'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye.